All right, so today we're <clears throat> going through our series in Titus, um, doing what is good. You know, I think, um, you know, I think last week well, there was a really good <clears throat> message with Pastor Larry, and you know, we went through a lot of, about character, character over competency, integrity, and you know, I, I realized more and more um, just how important that is in our lives, and even more so today, as I've been praying, I've been thinking about this a lot, of how, you know, we, a lot of times at churches, we talk about what the character, they, they listed out a, a bunch of different things about what a leader looks like. And even today, we're going to read through the whole passage. And even though I'm not going to focus on the first 10 verses, um, one, to keep my voice, so I'm sorry about that. Um, but we're going to read it just because I want to hear it. It's there. Um, I don't, I'm not there to gloss it over and skip it, but at the same time, I'm trying to just keep it concise for today, um, and I apologize for that. But because of that, it really speaks on not just the why, you know, not just the what of last week, what about character, what the character, what list of things are, but today really about, oh, I got, <clears throat> about what, about why and how. You know, why is it important? Why do we have our change and why do we address our character? We might know that it's important, but I think Paul in this portion of Titus later on speaks on <clears throat> why it's important to us and how it transforms our lives. How do we get, you know, work on this? How do we in, kind of grow in our character, right? Because it's not something that just happens. It's not something that, you know, we could just say, oh, it just happened in my life but rather it is intentional, specific choices that we make in our lives. <clears throat> and I'll start off, off with first Titus 1, and then I'll call Alice up, so thanks. And as a, just a summary of what it is, is that, you know, Paul, as he's writing this, he says <clears throat> to Titus, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. It's this understanding of the truth, the gospel, the grace of God that he's going to mention that leads to godliness, leads to this transformation, leads to our character being addressed. That it is not just something that we just kind of go through, but as you hear the words of the Lord, as you hear, as you read, as you spend time with God, that it is not just a, a task to do, but rather let it marinate and transform that leads to godliness, that leads to our character growth, to integrity. Because I realize more and more, like I said, it doesn't just happen. It doesn't just happen. You know, and I'll share one story and then I'm gonna ask Alice to come up. I remember <clears throat> when I first moved downtown, you know, I lived downtown and, you know, I used to take a metro. I was thinking about taking a metro to go to, to work, to go to the hospital. And, you know, it was Halloween on the way back. It wasn't that late, six o'clock or so. I was coming off of the metro and I walked out. I was walking, I lived probably like a seven minute walk from the metro. And I was walking back and as I was walking back, far distance, I see four teenagers. And I was thinking to myself, oh, it's not gonna be, you know, you know I'm, I don't know, sometimes I just, I'm, I'm aware of my surroundings. That's just what I've been taught. And so I see four, four teenagers way two blocks away from me. I make one turn, 
and then I make another turn, and I see these same four teenagers maybe about one block away from me. Then I make one more turn, and, and you know, it's right before I get into the back of my, like our complex parking lot. And then I see, I notice the four teenagers, like I, I notice their shadow, right? There's a light post, I walk past the light post, and I see these shadows coming really close behind me. And then I'm walking, and I, I turn around. And as, as I turn around, I see these four teenagers, and then they, they suddenly take off their backpacks, and they put their fists up. And I was like, oh no. Like, what am I gonna do here, right? And I'm thinking to myself, the first thing I'm gonna do is I'm gonna run. Because I have my backpack, I have probably over five years of my computer, my data for my work that's not backed up, which is what I'm learning to back up now. In my computer, I had a watch that Jenny gave me, or my, my <clears throat> no, no, I had a, yeah, I had a gift that I got, and then, uh, and I was just thinking to myself, I don't want to lose it. It doesn't make any sense, but I started running. And I probably got about 60 yards, um, and I was like four garages away from my house. And I noticed that, oh man, I'm not gonna outrun these guys. And I turned around, and I, I confess, I, I threw the first punch, because I was like, it's gonna be over for me. <clears throat> and we had a, a, a fight. My neighbors, I was yelling for help, came out to help me. At, like, he came out, and then the, the, the teenagers ran away. I say all that because I was so upset at the end of this. I was, I was really mad. I was thinking, oh man, I'm gonna find out who these four teenagers are. One of the neighbor's kids said, oh, I know them. I know one of them. You know, and I was thinking to myself, oh, I'm gonna go to that school. I'm gonna find out. I'm gonna do all these things. And I remember praying that night and just praying and just being like, God, like, what just happened here? What is up, you know? Why am I so angry? And <clears throat> as I was praying that, I remember there's this, a, a song that, that is a worship song that, that, that has the lyrics, where would I be without you? Do you know? And it, it just made me think that my life, had I not met some Christians, some people that shared it with me about God, would, would be, you know, when I think about my childhood, my um, middle school, that I didn't make a lot of good choices either. And then there's times where I, I realized easily, had I not made this couple of friends that took me out of what I thought was a cool group, I would, you know, be potentially making really bad choices in my life. You know, being in jail or we have friends from high school that were, went to jail afterwards and I just realized as I was praying, like where would my life be without God? And I was thinking through that and I just thought, what are ways that I could bless those kids rather than, rather than being angry at them? You know, I'd, I'd pursue to talk, to try to go to the school to actually talk, talk to them and not being angry. But in that whole process, it reminded me of just how life is different. How the things that matter to me, the things that were important to me before perhaps are changing, are changing in ways that this idea of coming to know God and transforming what we value, what I see, 
and even the life that I have as one that's not my own. I share that all because I realize that integrity, character, and all this knowledge of truth that leads to godliness is not just something that we just hear, but rather it is something that we hear, we wrestle with, we walk through. That hopefully, you know, two years later, three years, sometimes we don't notice the week to week, but hopefully over time that we'll see how God is transforming our lives. That is not just mere words and things that we hear, but rather a transformation, rather something that is inside that changes our values, our perspectives. And as we look at today's passage, the first 10 verses, we're gonna skip out on a lot, you know, and I think there's so much to speak on in this, these passages that speaks on the culture of that time and even how they are witnesses. And I wouldn't say it, it speaks to supporting, especially one passage on slavery, but rather, you know, all these passages, it speaks to the transformed life. And that's what we're gonna look at in today. We're gonna look at what Paul talks about, the grace of God and how that is offered, offers new life to people that receive it, how it teaches, teaches people to live, to respond, and lastly, how it motivates them. So we're gonna look at this in the way that Paul speaks on it. And like I said, I'm gonna invite Alice to come up. Gives me a few minutes, a minute or so to have um, <clears throat> a second to. Yeah, all of Titus 2. Kurt's too tall for me. Hang on. All right. Um, we are reading from Titus 2. Titus 2, doing good for the sake of the gospel. You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything set in everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to, try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted, so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These, then, are the things you should teach, encourage and rebuke with all authority, do not let anyone despise you. 
So we're, like I said, we're only going to focus on the last <clears throat> few verses, of verses 11 to 14 primarily. And so sorry that I missed a couple of verses in there. I don't know what happened. I had it in there. <clears throat> but the first point that I want to make, you know, now <clears throat> is how the grace of God, what Paul talks about, offers new life. And he says this in this way. He says, for the grace of God has appeared, Jesus, that offers salvation to all people. When we think about this salvation to all people, I want to mention, I, I realize more and more of just, we might understand that, that it's, it's for all. But I wonder, as I've been thinking about this, how often do we actually live that out? Lived it out for all people. Now, I don't think we directly or specifically make choices in certain ways to cut out people. And I hope not. But there are times when we ask ourselves, all people, do we make, do we make our way to really get to know all people? The people around us, the people in our, at workplaces, at our, in our neighborhoods, in churches. You know, it's said, and I read <clears throat> somewhere, that Sunday mornings in, in the United States are sometimes the most segregated times. You know, where people are just within their own churches and cultures. That it is not necessarily a reflection of all people of reaching out and really extending grace and love to people around that's perhaps different from us. And I was thinking about this because you guys know how much I like the Lakers basketball team. And yesterday, for some reason, you know, Facebook popped up of like the Hall of Fame speeches. I don't usually listen to them. But there's a couple of guys that I really respected of like uh, a coach, Coach Pop. He's from <clears throat> the Spurs, a, a team that I really despised because they would always beat the Lakers at crucial times, right? But... um. But I just wanted to hear, you know, what, what they were saying, you know, of just like, what is important? And there's another guy, Paul Gasol, that, that spoke. I say all that because, you know, as they were sharing, one of the things that stood out, he's saying, wins and losses, they don't matter. But what matters are the relationships, the people that they've met, that he's met, the, the teammates, the, the kind of connections that they have. You know, I think sun, like sports sometimes reflect more so sometimes, unfortunately, just the way that it draws people from all sorts of backgrounds, cultures, social economics, that people enjoy just coming together. If you ever go to a game and you're sitting next to people, you know, it's just sometimes, I remember the first time going to Ravens preseason, people are just cheering, they're just high-fiving, I don't even know them, but then when they score, they're like, hey, give me a high-five, you know, they're just running around, they're happy. Likewise, when I, when I went to the Lakers game, that's, it doesn't matter who's around you, that you're just like excited. You see it. You, you're there. You're supporting that team. You're cheering for the team. I love that. I love that about, about sports, and I will love that, of that what is God really speaking of in the church, of all people, being able to experience that kind of new life extended that has the same meaning the same value that you celebrate each other right when you think about the people in the scriptures of jesus 
that met with Jesus that were transformed. <clears throat> you know, I know there's kids here. That woman that was going to be punished for what she was doing to be stoned and Jesus saying to the people, hey, if you're without sin, you cast the first stone. The tax collector, right, that was, that was hated by their own people because they worked with the government to collect money and to a lot of times steal. Mary, a person that's spiritually attacked, was released from that. The lame man that was transformed, that was healed, that couldn't walk for years, 38 years, that was able to walk. The disciples that denied him, that walked away from him. <clears throat> Saul, the person that persecuted Jesus. All these people were given a new life as they encountered, as they experienced Jesus. And as they did that, you get a sense of the early church, of the church coming together from all different backgrounds, all different places, experiences, but yet drawn together because of Christ. There is so much, there is so much that we can really speak on and actually reflect on when we live our life indirectly, are we making our lives <clears throat> accessible to all people or to just certain groups of people? Because salvation is offered to all, and we are the witnesses, the salt and light. Next week, that's going to be a message from our guests. We are the witnesses to God's goodness. Do we share that with all people? Because it is offered to all people. And of all things, we understand and realize that we can never earn our way with God. That before God, we are all the same, that we are broken sinners. Our inability to meet God's standards. And in this passage, what Paul's talking about, the grace of God appeared and offers that he gave himself his life so that we would have life, so that we would have a relationship, able to have a relationship with God. It's important as we think about this, of all the things about, the things that we do, the question is our heart and our motivation. The why and the how. Does the grace of God, do we realize how much life that we've been given, that we would extend it to all those around us, that we would see that we've been given new life, that our life is not the same. You know, the grace of God, <clears throat> as Paul speaks on, he, it offers salvations to all people. And that's a challenge and a word, is that is it really all to us? Are we limiting just who we get to know, how, how we share the news? Because I think what we... <clears throat> What it also does and what Paul talks about here, that as it transforms our values of even who we talk to, who we open our lives up to, that it teaches us even more than that. He says in, <clears throat> it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. I think indirectly what it also says here, 
is that it is natural and likely to have ungodliness and worldly passions in our minds and in our thoughts. You know, what it says to me is that this is what we will have. You know, it would be natural. I think sometimes we feel that it is, oh, I shouldn't have, I'm really, if you feel guilty, you feel bad to even have these thoughts but ra- or these tendencies, and you get, we get mad at these tendencies. But rather, what I want to say that it, in our lives of our fallenness, that we will have that right now until we meet God, until we pass from this world. Yet, the grace of God, what does it do? It allows us, it teaches us to say no. That these <clears throat> passions or even ungodly thoughts or whatever ungodliness in our actions, they may be there, but we don't have to choose our actions to reflect that. That the grace of God gives us the ability, has redeemed us from all wickedness, it says, purified us so that we would be able to be his people. You know, I think about, as an example, when we live our lives, you know, I I think recently, and you know, I see the news all the time about like um, the lottery. I don't know if you guys drive by, when I drive by the highway, there's always these like post signs and like talk about it. But I was thinking about this illustration of, you know, when and if someone wins the lottery or even inherits a large sum amount from an uncle or aunt they didn't know about, that they were not expecting, that somehow most of the time people quit their jobs and live a completely different life, right? They do whatever they want. They know that they have this financial security. But I wonder for us as believers, when we think about this, as, as we are into God's family, as we've been washed from this debt of sin that we could not repay, but was paid because of the of Jesus on the cross. When we have this new life, do we live that in, an, in ways that are different than before we knew Christ? Right? Does it, are we living life in ways that we actually could tell specific times in our lives that we said no to whatever worldly passion, whatever it's in our minds, in our thoughts, in our actions? I think it's getting harder and harder in the culture that we live in today. Because you can just see on the internet that when there's anonymous, when, it's, when you know you won't get found out or caught, that somehow people are able to just speak whatever they want to do and say it without things that they would never even say to a person from their face. Right? They would, behind a computer screen, be able to type all these things out. And I realize, you know, it isn't just a medium that is changing, but really the heart of the matter, and even as we ask ourselves, is, is the grace of God addressing things that when people are not around us, when people can't see what we're doing or don't know what we're doing, does it affect us in ways that we would say, yes, This reflects Jesus. This is how I want to live in godliness rather than ungodliness. You know, this ability to live differently, the ability 
to live in ways that we've been given a new life. You know, that's the grace of God that speaks, that teaches us, that changes our lives. That is not just something we know, but also a guidepost for us to understand, to follow, to live. You know, there's this book that I really liked, Bonhoeffer, The Cost of Discipleship. And he talks about this idea of cheap grace and costly grace. This is on page 44 and 45 of his book. The first chapter is amazing. I think everyone should definitely read it. You know, just what he speaks on. And he's a, <clears throat> a German pastor, you know, who spoke against, you know, uh, during the war, well, spoke, spoke against uh, Hitler, went back even though he had a chance to have freedom um, and asylum, went back into uh, <clears throat> Germany, tried to speak truth to the churches and was thrown into the concentration camp and ultimately died there. But he speaks on the cost of discipleship as he wrote this book <clears throat> there, during that time. And he writes this about grace, God's grace. He says, cheap grace is the deadly enemy of our church. The sacraments, the forgiveness of sins, the consolations of religion are thrown away at cut prices. Grace is represented as church's inexhaustible treasury from which she showers blessings with generous hands without asking questions or fixing limits. Grace without price, grace without cost. The essence of grace, we suppose, is that the account has been paid in advance and because it has been paid, everything can be had for nothing. Cheap grace means the justification of sins, sin without the justification of the sinner. Grace alone does everything they say, and so everything can remain as it was before. All for sin could not atone. Well, then, let the Christian live like the rest of the world. Let him model himself on the world standard in every sphere of life, and not presumptuously aspire to live a different life under grace from his old life under sin. And I'm going to skip the last part to this. He says, such grace, and he talks about costly grace, is costly because it calls us to follow. It is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costed a man's life. And it is grace because it gives a man the only true life is costly because it condemns sin, and grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it cost God the life of his son. He were brought at a price, and what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon his son too dear of a price to pay for our lives, our life, but delivered him up for us. Costly grace is the incarnation. I mean, man, he speaks of it so beautifully, of just what perhaps in our lives, in our culture today, we regard as cheap grace. The forgiveness of sins that does not change, that does not require repentance, a turn, a change in our choices. He goes on and he says, it's like baptism in a church without church discipline, communion without repentance absolution without personal confession. 
right? It, it has this idea that modern America today, that we're all welcome, that we could come as we are, that <clears throat> we could sit back and relax, that grace is there, God's grace is there, and it is. It's for all. But that grace calls upon us, teaches us, that that costly grace welcomes but yet challenges our lives to not sit still, to not be okay with sin in our lives. But as we talk about the integrity, about character, that this costly grace bids us to follow Jesus, bids us to reflect in our lives, not the what we have to do, but because our new life what our life will look like now. You know, when, when Paul writes this, he says no, that the grace of God teaches us no to this ungodliness and worldly passion. But it not just says no, only says no, but it pushes us, it guides us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Not later on, but right now. Right now, it calls us to live in ways that we are a new, a new life, a new person, a new creation, been purified, been redeemed. It's been, we've been redeemed because what? <clears throat> in all this, we wait. We wait for this blessed hope, the coming of our Savior Jesus coming back again, our life in the future and in the present to be different. Right. The grace of God, it offers life, it teaches, and lastly, it motivates us. You know, Paul, he finished this part and he reminds them that Jesus Christ redeemed us, redeemed him the people there redeemed all of us of our wickedness and purified for himself a people that are his very own. Right? His people. And in because of that, because of that, they are eager to do what is good. I was thinking about illustration about this and I realized for me, <clears throat> One example of this is getting married into Jenny's family's life. You know, I think marriage is one thing. You, not only do you get married to your spouse, you get married into their family and all, you inherit all the good and bad of the other person too. And that's just part of life, part of marriage. But one thing I think I've been really blessed with are the examples of Jenny's parents to me. You know, when they, <clears throat> Over all these years now, we've been married for 13 years now. Now, they have always come down and blessed my life. They have taken care, they cooked every meal. Even when they're here this past time, he was cleaning up all these things around my house. There's ants problems, and I was like, oh, there's just, I just have ants. I can't help it. I put traps. But no, he, he goes outside, he sprays everything, he puts all these things, and he fixes even things that I don't even know is broken, right? He goes and then he tells me about it and I'm just like, oh man, I feel so bad. But I'm blessed. 
you know, in the, in the ways that I'm like, wow. I've been <clears throat> taken in by, by Jenny's parents and become a son of theirs. And there's times where we even joke around because, I mean, I love Charlie, who's a brother-in-law. And sometimes he's like, they treat you better than Charlie. And I'm like, whoa, that's, that's a huge blessing, right? But that example to me of just being, the coming in and seeing that her parents just give me this kind of adopted me as their son and doing all these things, not because they have to, but that's just who they are. They love and that's the way they, they show their love. There's one way that I realized, you know, as I've been in their, in their lives and in their, in their family, there are times where I'm like, oh, I know I can do X, Y, Z. And in those ways, you know, <clears throat> whenever they travel, they'll be like, oh, can you help me find a ticket? And I'm like, no problem. You know, can you help me do X? The things that I'm good at, I'm like, oh, I could do this. You know, managing their townhouse or whatever it might be. That it, it's something that when I see their lives, it changed me. It changed because what I realized, the way I grew up, and I love my parents, but I think they're just, their model is that I will always provide for you. They're there for us. If we go through hard times, they're always going to stay and, and be there. But there are a lot of times where they're not necessarily like, hey, let's just, let me come over and hang out with you. Right? Let me go over there and play and spend time with your kids, laugh with them, engage with them. And then when I see Jenny's parents in this way, it, it's challenged me. It's challenged me to live. And God willing, if I could see my kids, kids, if, that's, if I'm willing, able to see that, of how I would want to live as a grandparent, as part of their lives, as part of <clears throat> being a family, engaged, spending time together. Because there are times where it's hard to get my mom to come out here. You know, I've asked her, hey, I'll pay for your plane ticket. I will, you know, I have my kids in childcare. You're not watching them. You're not doing all these things. And she's like, oh, I'll come when your sister comes. And I, I think it's partly because I've always shown, perhaps given a vibe of I'm busy, you know, she's gonna be inconvenienced. But I've been trying to break that down of years of just like, hey, come out, spend time with us. Be able to laugh, see the kids. But, what, but the things that I've learned from Jenny's parents are things that I hope motivates me in ways that changes how I perceive and how I interact with kids, with grandkids, with other people. Do you know, I'm blessed to have them as my, as my parents because I, I needed to see it before I could do it. And when Paul speaks on this, I think this is one illustration example, is that when we see with so, with, when I see with gratitude this new life that I've been given by Christ, that I've been called into his family, purified, the ability to say no to worldly passions, to ungodliness, to wickedness in my life, that I can also choose and desire and be eager to do what is good. That it is not that I must do that, but I want to do that. That I've been given the life that I want to. And now as a parent with David, Joel, and Caleb, 
you know, I have to push myself to want, to want to spend time in ways perhaps I'm learning that I didn't grow up with, but I see and I want. I want them to grow and come to know God, to live out their lives, to be a blessing to others, right? But because I'm called into that as a father now, I'm eager to live my life differently. Likewise, I think in all of us, as we're called into God's family, as we've been redeemed, as we live out our lives, that we have a choice, that we can choose in many ways what Paul's speaking on, to live in self-control, to grow in that, to not live perfect lives, but to grow into self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age and while we wait for the blessed hope. And this way, I hope for us that as we talk and think about the grace of God, it challenges us to see how do I view everyone around me? Is it truly salvation for all people? Is that how I live what I want the church to be the community in my life to look like? Do I extend that grace the way that that grace was extended to me? Does it teach us in ways that challenges how we think and how we live and what we value? And lastly, does it motivate us in ways to live out as people of God, eager to do what is good? Let's pray. I'm gonna invite the worship, Kurt, to come up. Lord, <clears throat> remind us, Lord. Remind us of your grace. That is not a intellectual, just an intellectual choice. Or a choice we made many years ago. But rather, this declaration, this proclamation of your grace in our lives is one that we choose and we desire to live with you and for you. Help us to continue fight in our thoughts, in our minds, in our hearts, things that are not from you, Lord, that we know it's there, that we don't have to feel guilty of, but that you freed us, that you call us to live different. Help us to see, Lord, that you have given us the power to do so. Motivate, transform our hearts to desire to live for you. Lord, we just pray, Lord. We pray that you would reveal yourself in many ways to us, in the ways that you are leading, guiding us as a church, as individuals, as community that we would desire for all people to come to know you and be transformed by your grace. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.